0: You are listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast, where we explore traditional tabletop and live-action role-playing games through the lens of horror. A special thank you to our Patreons for helping make this podcast possible. Settle in, thin bloods. Grab a drink and your favorite set of dice, and let the darkness consume you. Hey everybody, this is Mark. I just want to give an intro to this episode that you're about to listen to. It's a very special episode that we recorded sometime last year after PAX Unplugged. I got a chance to sit down with... The great Mark Reinhagen, creator of Vampire the Masquerade and World of Darkness at Large. We were lucky enough for him to be so willing to sit down with us for our Twitch stream, and I thought it'd be appropriate to rip the audio and bring it to our Gehenna Gaming podcast listeners. So without further ado, here is the interview with Mark Reinhagen. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I want to introduce somebody who's who's uh, extremely important to to the horror based RPG world Tonight, we're joined by Kane himself, the great Mark Reinhagen. (laughs) He's a prolific game developer, a writer, a designer. He's the co-founder of White Wolf Wolf Publishing and the mastermind behind World of Darkness, the creator of Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, and a whole bunch of other games which we all know and love. Um, You can find him featured in the World of Darkness documentary, which your part was fantastic. It's actually one of my favorite parts in the documentary as a whole just here really yeah yeah oh, okay. thanks you're welcome you're welcome um i like your sense of humor i think <laughs> um <laughs> and he's currently working on a really really cool setting uh which i'm super excited about uh called lost lauren which i hope we can talk about a little bit later mark mr ryan Hagen, thank you so much for joining us
1: uh, thank you for having me
0: So I just want to, uh, you know, let everybody know there's going to be an opportunity for you to ask your questions. Um, I'm only going to pick a couple, but that's going to be later on. I'll let you know what that is. In the meantime, I have a very important question for you, Mark. What is your favorite horror movie?
1: Oh, wow. Um, Hmm. The Shining?
0: Ooh, that's one of my favorites.
1: I guess because... um... It was like the first, you know, that really got to me like uh, yeah. as a kid before The Shining. I, I used to think horror movies are boring, you know, is so the 80s, they were kind of cheesy. I would just laugh at them. And then The Shining was the first one, What, you know, kind of, uh, oh, OK, um, I'm a little scared. And, and that was cool. I also love uh, Cabin in the Woods, but I'm not quite sure that's a real horror movie or not, but it's wow. pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it's. I was talking about it the other day with with a few friends of mine. It's it definitely counts in my opinion. Um, I'm a huge fan of The Shining. It's actually one of the one of the first movies that actually scared me. Um, when I was when I was a kid, I remember watching it with with my father, and and particularly the scene with the old lady in the in the bathroom always got to me.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone you- has uh, one scene in that you know where they just are are just flips them out. You know, what was and, yours? Uh, uh well, I mean, now it's so cliché, it, it seems stupid to say but the, but the twins
2: yeah, the twins know? absolutely you know
1: that, that, it's you know, there's a reason why they keep rep- reproducing that you know i mean yeah. if you, if you had a you know uh, a poster of all the times that's been reproduced in other other things, you know <laughs> like the Simpsons are endless number of ways that's been reproduced you know, the, the twins are everywhere, right
0: they had that kind of creepy look, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's what I, I think I love about uh you know, he was always one of my favorite directors. Um, you know, who 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 else could make a Vietnam um, movie in London, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Stanley Cooper could. <laughs> and it somehow worked, you know. It's just incredible that he made uh that in in London. But um yeah. Uh, that was you know, entirely in London? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Crazy. Yeah. He's,
0: he's a great he's a great director, one of one of my favorites. Um I, I like that he he filmed an entire movie lit entirely by natural and candlelight. Um that was the scary yeah. piece that he did.
1: Yeah, he he's one of the original dogma um directors, but he did it before Dogma even came out, you know? <laughs> so, you know, that's it, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um so he, he's just – uh he was just always – and I guess, you know, Clockwork Orange, I, I guess, honestly, I saw that before The Shining. Yep. I saw The Shining because I realized, oh, I love this director. And and I guess Clockwork Orange, to me, is a horror movie, and that movie to- totally blew me away.
2: Yeah. Like,
0: oh, yeah.
1: You know? remember the first time I went to Hollywood to pitch vampire. Um, uh, My agent – I guess it wasn't the first time, but it was later on once I had an agent. Uh, he took me out to a, a bar in Beverly Hills called the Milk Bar, <laughs> which was done up exactly like the bar in Clockwork Orange. With like the spouts and, it and the just legs, comp- freaked me out.
0: That's wild. Like the same, it decor, was awesome. same decor with like huh? the, the same decor with the with the uh, mannequins and the spouts and the the words and, were and on the walls.
1: walls and the ceiling and the yeah. walls all glowed white.
0: Yeah, I I need that bar in my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it, it is. It is. It, you cannot go wrong. If you have an extra hundred thousand dollars, start a bar, and it will
2: work. Yeah, at I, least for a year.
0: I would like. I would like to go up, go to a bar like that, but I'd also like to go to the Geiger Bar. I think it's in. Oh, yeah, Austria, maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: Um,
0: okay, so I, I would like to go
1: to the Geiger <laughs> Bar. Yes, oh, absolutely, for,
0: <laughs> for sure. Uh, which, which brings me to my next subject, um, food. If you were to Let's just say you're on death row, right? The world's about to end, whatever. Um, I am on death
2: row. <laughs> you we have, all are.
0: What is your last meal then? What one meal are you going to have before we all burn up in the sun?
1: Wow. Um, huh. I guess um, proof. Uh, I, I would definitely have it be a little bit of everything. You know, because I just love such a variety of food. I have a little bit of curry in there. I'd have some, um, you know, Thai. I would, I would definitely have some steak. Um, you know, I have to have at least a couple French fries. You know, <laughs> it's your last meal. You gotta have a couple French fries. You know, absolutely. So you you're... know, it depends also. Like most prisons, by the time that food gets to you, it's cold, right? So if this is your prison last meal, it's quite a bit different than. Oh, you know, what restaurant would you like to go to for your last meal?
0: Yeah, it's not a piping hot steak. Um, that thing's going to be probably. No,
1: no. Supposedly, it can be pretty gross. Mm-hmm. That's just, this know? is
0: what I hear. Um, for for me, it would be uh, borscht. My wife makes the, the m- most You like my son? Will, will, will,
1: will, will, my son is forced to eat borscht uh, a couple times a week. And, yeah, he, he, he doesn't like it.
0: <laughs> he doesn't like it. Oh, man. No,
1: no, he hates it.
0: It's the best. Um, okay, so uh, there, there is a question that I like to ask everybody who whom I look up to, and I, I just want to say, um, Mark, thank you so much for, for coming on here and, and allowing me to throw a whole bunch of questions at you. I have been following your career for quite some time. Um, I'm a huge fan of pretty much everything that you've done, um, but it's it, what's interesting to me is to see people look back at their own career, their own career paths and all the things that they have done, but more importantly, mm-hmm. the people that have inspired them. Um, So, who inspired you the most in in your career path?
1: Um, I mean, outside of gaming, Joseph Campbell, you know, um, and anyone who used Joseph Campbell to do their work, uh, like Lucas. um, Yeah. uh, You know, the Japanese, Kurosawa, uh, had a huge, huge, I was just such a Kurosawa fan when I was in college that it cannot be understated how obsessed I was. Um, was with, with all creative, sort of Japanese director. film
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and I'm, I was very into French film and Italian film you know sort of my era um, you know it was sort of before anime you know so so when I was you know in high school and college you know my thing was you know finding the latest French movie and going to see that and and that was you know what you did you know as it's, 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 it's cool as you get kind of in terms of you know I'm a different kind of person, you know, what is the, what's the most stimulating intellectual thing I can find?
2: I think so. um, but In
1: gaming, basically, anyone who worked for Chaosium, <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything Chaosium, I yeah. was a Chaosium mega fan and, uh, and I was lucky enough to have, um, you know, them sort of be my mentors and guide the way, you know, so, you know, basically at conventions I would go to Beeline for the, you know, from my booth to the Chaosium booth and then hang out, say hello, you know, and then basically after, you know, go to their room and hang out. So,
0: you know, they, the the Chaosium guys were actually in the same gaming room as us when we were running um, Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition at PAX Unplugged. And they are a great, great group of people. Um, yeah,
1: the new the new crowd is great. Of yeah. course, I'm talking about the, the old the, original, OGs, you know. You know uh, uh, Sandy Peterson and and uh, uh, um, you know like, I can't even say his name because I'll start crying. But uh, yeah, yeah, um, you know, uh, you know all, all the guys uh, from the old Chaosium, you know that's sort of my era. And uh, but the new guys are great. I mean, they gave me convention space at GenCon uh, <laughs> a couple times just a couple years ago. So I owe them a huge amount. So you know I'm so glad they're keeping the legacy going and and that Chaosium is strong. You know, not just strong, but doing so well. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, and there's, it's, it's important um, that the people that are around you and that are there to kind of help support or even just kind of reach down and say, yeah, come on, kid, let's, uh, <laughs> let's go roll some dice and play some games and, and develop some cool stuff. Um, having people in a company that you respect with game lines, you know, developing game lines that you respect, or even artists and writers that, that you are, are fond of helping you, that's, that's got to be surreal
1: yeah yeah no i mean you know especially back then before you could you know watch a, a program on twitch or or whatever you mm-hmm. know i mean you you had to you know write a letter right yeah. You know, because you know i was on arpanet but most people weren't on arpanet they didn't even know what an email was right yeah you know and so so um you know you had to write a letter to them and you had to wait for a long time and you didn't even know if they'd get it or they'd write back and so a convention, you know, actually having someone whose books you had read and, you know, and, and you were going to these game stores to read these books and and pick them up and, to, you know, talk to someone who had written this thing that meant a lot to you. You know, I, I think that, that was always the great thing about gaming, by the way, is that, you know, that all of us who have people who go, oh, we love what you did. Well, I was you, you know, I had people. Just you know who who just as people some people love what I've done, I equally loved other people's work and it had such an influence not just in my professional life but my personal life
0: yeah, and that's that's kind of one thing I do want to touch on is is, is you know specifically what inspired you right when you were when you were first developing or when the when the first seeds of, of world of darkness kind of were germinating in your mind, you know I'm sure a lot of that. Um, happened at the very, very beginning. You know, when you were one of us, so to speak, um, and not quite putting out any any content, any games or any any publications out yet. So, you know, you grew up in in Ohio. Um, no, no. I, I, I please. I, would I was love born to
1: hear in re- Ohio, but I, I moved to Scotland at a fairly early age.
0: I, you know, Mark, I apologize. I did not know this. That is really exciting. How old were you?
1: Uh, I think I was like three or something.
0: Okay. Wow. So you you were born in Ohio, and then you essentially grew up and and cut your teeth in in Scotland?
1: Yeah, my brogue was so thick that whenever any of my grandparents would visit, they didn't understand a word I said. (laughs) They would have to get my parents to translate everything. I had just this thick, you know, uh, (laughs) West Lothian accent.
2: That's amazing. And,
1: uh, and then when I came to America, I had to lose it quickly because I was just getting beaten up every day, you know, like oh, no. literally beaten up.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and, and so this is where I grew to sort of, you know, hate uh, bullies. You know? I just <laughs> really, really hate bullies. Yeah. Um, and usually people who are, who are beaten up are the ones who hate bullies the most, right? Yep, Cause, absolutely. Because it's not the pain of getting beaten up, it's the shame of it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: the shame of being on the floor and having people laughing. You know?
0: Yeah. The, the worst part is when you go back to your to your mom and, and say and, and explain what happened. It almost hurts worse than the punches in the face. Having to yeah, explain, like, ah, man. this is what happened to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it, it's sort of like, uh, you know, people. I think that's actually one mistake a lot of storytellers and people in role playing make. A lot of people in general in America think that like money is a real motivation. Yeah. And it's not. The reason people want money is because they want they desperately want status. Yeah. You know, status is everything to a human. Mm-hmm. And we kind of underrate that with our obsession with money. But money is just a marker. You know, that's why billionaires, if uh, you know, have this huge competition, which Silicon Valley captures so well. Yeah. It, it, you know, you're already a billionaire. You shouldn't care anymore. <laughs> you know, you can have any toy you want, anything you want. And yet they're still playing around like high school kids, you know, uh, fighting for prom king.
0: Well, that's kind of why I asked that is because, you know, our our upbringing, our our youth, where we came from, you know, the roots, the roots of our adulthood essentially kind of drives quite a bit of what we do, um, whether it be the actions that we're taking or what we're creating. Um, that's really interesting. And, and you know, I got to say there's obviously you probably ran into so many people that are huge fans that are also faced that kind of adversity with being bullied. Um, and how, having... oh my
1: God, I, I think that's what most role players have in common. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> Ultimately. And so... I think every role player has been bullied, not everyone, but most like, it just seems like it's incredibly common thing. Like I just got back yeah. from Athens. Mm-hmm. And, and let me tell you, I can spot the role players from across the room, you know? <laughs> yeah. And my son came with me uh, this time to Athens Con. And within two days, he could point out that there <laughs> That's a fan. That's a fan. Not a fan. Fan, you know? Yeah, this guy's me. a player. Yeah. This
0: girl's a player. This one might be new to it. Yeah. You know, I, I, how do you feel now that, you know, I feel like role playing and... and tabletop in general is kind of it's kind of mainstream um and i have this idea that you know it was
1: incredible. It, five years ago it was nearly dead like six right. years ago i was very very certainly 10 years ago i was incredibly worried yeah that role playing was just going to disappear and die and then it's come back it's beautiful go ahead sorry
0: no don't be that i i think you you kind of hit the nail on the head i mean it, it is beautiful um you know where it was going away and now it's, it has this kind of huge resurgence yeah um, that's great. So and I
1: think people once again are a, a poised to once again leave Dungeons and Dragons and look for something more, right? Like yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is the great incubator of of gamers, and and I think there's a lot of people who sort of started out or restarted out with D and D, and I think there's going to come a time, you know, where they're going to be looking for that new thing, and so I think there's uh, a space for a new, let's say, World of Darkness type phenomenon where people can. You know, try something a little bit more dark, a little bit more storytelling, you know, a little bit more involved, a little bit more um, put together, mm-hmm. you know, well-considered intellectual. And, and, and so, you uh, know, I, mean, I think that's what people really are searching for in a way. You know, a lot of people play d and a lot of people write about D&D sort of, you know, really focus on the escapism part and the, the silly buggers part. Yeah, but I think a lot of people who play D and D role playing in general have a lot have pretensions. We all, I think, we all have these pretensions of doing something more than escapism. That we're trying to do something a little more intense than just escape our lives. We're trying to, you know, do something artistic a little bit. You know, with our characters, we want to have, we want to, you know, not just feel like we're doing something unique, but we want to actually have a character that we care about and to do that you, your character has to be something more than just a, a silly, you know, uh, gnome tinkerer, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. No offense to all the gnome tinkerers, but yeah. it's well, actually, I'm, you, Someone I'm high, sure so. has
1: made an incredible gnome tinkerer <laughs> that is an awesome character, but, but it, it's the stand in for the, the silly buggers character that, that, uh, you know, that, that isn't, that isn't what it should be.
0: So was that your first game, Dungeons and Dragons? Was that the very first kind of
2: RPG? It you was. Really
1: got into? It was. Yeah. I, my, my dad is a Lutheran minister and his intern came over for dinner one Sunday and he said, I have this new game. And so uh, we rolled up characters and I played a dwarf named uh, Ivan. And my dad played a cleric and we went into Beyond the Unknown and I was addicted and I kept showing up on this uh, intern's door. And finally, he said, Mark, you can't keep coming to my house <laughs> asking questions. It's going to look bad. So just let me come to your house, okay? When your dad's home. That's <laughs> great. I did get it. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then I, um, I met some kids in the next town over. There's was no one in my high school. It was a farm town who, who had any interest in this. And uh, I played with D&D with them for like two years. But then they kicked me out because I wanted to do storytelling and more deeper stuff and have above ground adventures and have stories and plots and kingdoms and all this sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and so I basically lost all my friends. And so after that, you know, up until the day I left for Australia to be an exchange student, um, I played on my own. I just... I just wrote, you know, and drew worlds. Wow! And then I went to Australia, became a surfer, and suddenly I was a cool kid. Go figure. <laughs> That's
0: right. It's all about it's all about defining yourself in the hobby that you're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funny thing though is all my cool friends in Australia they thought D and D was great, and we would play. Uh, you know, we're busy, but we would play at least twice a month. So That's they awesome. thought it was a great. Yeah. yeah, and they were the coolest kids in the school. So yeah. go figure.
0: There's a lot of people that you know did get their start with D I, I got my start with with D D as well, uh, but quickly found your game um, because uh, because and I
1: found RuneQuest and oh, Call perfect. Cthulhu, you know, so yeah. for me, first RuneQuest, then Call of Cthulhu, and I was immediately like, "Okay, uh, I'm <laughs> I know <laughs> what I love."
0: Yeah, the storytelling aspect, kind of the yeah, it's almost like you know when you're sitting on the sitting at the fire at camp with your party. In D and D, and it's almost like okay, now the game has begun, and everyone kind of leans back and says, "All right, this is kind of the boring part." But that's, in 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 my purview, that's kind of the more exciting part. Some of those, you know, relationships that you build with 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 people on an individual level in game and out of game. It's just a very very cool experience that these types of storytelling and more plot driven uh, type of games really do provide.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing I'm always amazed by is is how deep people's relationships are who often come up to meet me at conventions, like just how deep these relationships have, have become between people Yeah, um, because of, you know, my game this is the people I'm meeting, of course, but I think it's probably true of uh, many, many role-playing games is that, you know, role-playing games are just much more intense than a board game, you know, and because they're the original cooperative game, you know (laughs) Uh, um you know it it, it's they've role-playing has always had a different feel from a board game where where you're trying to beat each other you know or try to beat the game you know role-playing doesn't really have a a point like that you're not i mean some people play it that way but you don't really you're not really out to win anything yeah as a group or an individual And and that kind of is very freeing, you know. It's sort of the anti-game game.
2: Yeah,
0: that's one of the things I really enjoy about *Vampire: The Masquerade* is that it, um, it when you do lose, whether it be you're losing people, uh, characters, NPCs, you're losing an objective that you set for yourself or your or your coterie, when 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 the loss happens, when you have to take the L. Um, it it makes the game it enriches the game makes it more exciting and and you know uh, r- strangely rewarding with with d and d it's it's different it's like oh we didn't slay the dragon damn it with with uh, vampire it's it's more along the lines of you know we didn't defeat this one um, this one goal or this one thing that was an adversary and now how bad is shit going to get and that's what's exciting about it
1: yeah yeah I, I think the the I think what I did right with vampire especially and and with the whole world of darkness to some extent is, is the layering of dangers and so you know yeah. um you know you can never know quite how things are going to go wrong for you but if yeah if you do something wrong some some of these different groups are gonna come in and and so yeah yeah so i i i kind of reacted to the whole uh monster manual you know pick a monster fight a monster thing which i really don't like you know yeah um and uh you know for one thing it's uh it borders on genocide at times <laughs> i remember one time uh, i was in a group of we were slaughtering this this tribe of goblins and i was going wait a minute aren't they sentient yeah i mean do yeah. they have like do they have like are are you guys killing everyone and they go yeah we're killing everyone and i was, I was <laughs> like, we're oh, definitely man. the bad guys <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, I cannot, and they're like, it's just a game, don't be stupid, man, and I was like, I don't know, this is just creepy to me, you know, and, and, and so I think that's one of the problems I have with, with uh, killing the monster games in general, is they can be kind of, uh...
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: It has a moral ambiguity with, uh, with, with, with death and with murder and, it adds a certain level of um, it's fun. Everyone has a great time with it, but it, it, it's interesting. You're asking these hard questions. You know, do the do the goblins that we are going and we're told by a king or whomever to go kill? Are they sentient? Is there a society? Should we be doing this on a moral aspect? These are questions that are that are that yeah. are typically I mean, not is asked. Even
1: fun. To, is, why is it fun to do this? Even if they're imaginary, we're imagining doing yeah. genocide against an entire tribe. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like I've lived with tribes and you know it's scary. I you know. Yeah. Anyway, it's crazy. I think that's one reason though why people love zombies Mm. is that is that zombies let you go out and do these crazy mayhem things with humans but they're not humans anymore so it's completely okay.
2: Yeah, there's no you know?
0: yeah, there's no like uh, anthropological explanation of okay, well these are they're living in tribes, they're doing this, this is what their day-to-day is and all of a sudden people kind of ruin their 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 life. It's it's different. They have no brains, so it's easy. Yeah. to justify. Yep. I want to I want to yep. I want to switch I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Sorry, go ahead. the yep. the move from from Dungeons and Dragons into developing Vampire the Masquerade. Um, now I've heard that that Gen Con in 1990 was a very, very important moment uh, for the development of, of Vampire the Masquerade. I am curious. Um, I want to know, you know, how important was Gen Con? Was that Gen Con? And what was the process of developing the game?
1: I mean, uh, you know, we had had... I knew that uh, by this time I was living in Atlanta uh, and I was partners with Stuart and Stuart had agreed to to let me... You know, do two hours a day in the warehouse, and then he would run the company, and then I would have time to to create a hit for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's clear that I was the game designer, i already done Ars Magica, but we were poor, really poor. And I was so poor that I was eating day old donuts from, you know, because they're half price and, and ramen like every day. Oh, my God. For years, you know? <laughs> and it was just, I was just tired. Yeah. You know? You know and i couldn't afford i could only afford a six-pack of beer every friday and that's just because you know um i scrimped and saved for that uh and it was just miserable and so i knew i needed something so i was working on a game called inferno where you play someone famous in hell but some terrible things happen that's kind of where the wraith curse began uh and absolutely gave up on that and so i was just desperate and then on the way to Gen Con, we were talking about movies, and I was telling the story about how when we saw Lost Boys, I saw it with Jonathan, Tweet, and my sister, and we came we going, "Wow, what a fantastic movie!" And Jonathan said, and I rec- recalled at the moment, he said, "It would be great to have a game about vampires. It would be boring to fight vampires all the time, because of course that's back then. That's how you thought. You know, that's how games were." And I remember saying to him, "I bet there's a way to do it." And I was telling a story, and as I was telling that story, it occurred to me, oh, shit, <laughs> of course, of course, of course, you play the vampire. And so I just said, no one talk, give me a pen. <laughs> and, and I just started writing down ideas, and then gradually they started talking again. But by then, I was in my little cone. And that's the one Gen Con where I didn't really drink. I didn't really have fun. I didn't really do anything. I went to the booth and shook hands and did what I had to. But basically, I was in the back of the booth writing or I was in my room. And I filled up like five notebooks. Every time I ran out of a notebook, someone had to go run and get a new notebook. Whoa. And basically, the game just poured out of me. It had been all these years of working on dead-end projects and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and researching you know, mythology and different different creatures of the world and you know, I already kind of had a conception of what I wanted to do. And, I, you know, and as soon as I hit on the idea of, you know, Mafia and the vampires, you know, controlling society and fighting it. And I already knew I wanted to do layering because I had done that in Ars Magica. And I knew the next game I was going to do it times 100. Um, and I knew I was going to do a whole series of games. So the World of Darkness came out because I, I knew a series of games would keep me employed (laughs) (laughs) and I would have beer and pot money for longer, you know, and I kind of wanted to have a car, you know, so I figured, okay, well, I may have to sell my car at some point, but if I can do a series of games, then, you know, I'll be able to have a car for the whole duration. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, and so little did I know it would do so well that I would end up on a, you know, a Miata convertible, which for me was like,
0: I'm rich I made it
1: <laughs> you know yeah and then later on I had to have sports cars and it was like wow okay this is
0: nice that that's that's wild so you were I mean essentially struck by this inspiration and and it like you said it completely poured out of you in, in multiple books Yeah. Um, in in a very short period of time, I mean that kind of inspiration is
1: yeah is rare. And then the whole game came together in nine months. Yeah, you know, so so and I knew for I knew I to do the the dots for the character sheet, but I had no idea the dice system. So we just borrowed that from from shadow Run. Okay, and brought one of their guys in to to work on that. Uh, I forgot his name right now. Uh, Graham Davis. Yeah, uh, helped me back then. I was not such a great. Uh, well, maybe I'm still not a great writer, but anyway, (laughs) I I wasn't able to do the really good prose that would sound vampiric. And Graham was just so professional and did such a good job working with with me uh, on on sort of doing the the introduction of the book. And, um, but yeah, basically, um, we had no art budget and I think the game would have failed if if I accepted one of the bad covers. We kept getting art in, and I kept going, No, there's no way that's going on in my game. There's no way I'm not going to do it. I said, I don't care how bad the art is inside, but the cover has to be okay. Yeah. Because inside, I knew we had the Bradstreets, right? Yeah. yeah which so is, yeah. I knew the full page Amazing. Bradstreets and the save the game. Yeah. The other art, it didn't really matter. We had the Bradstreets. Yeah. But the cover, we couldn't really do a Bradstreet black and white. Mm-hmm. So thank God I hit on the idea of the, the green marble, um, you know, and everyone thought I was nuts. You know, (laughs) yeah, it's I mean, that
0: I I, it's right here. This is the revised version. Um, But I I, I actually was talking about this and at PAX, how iconic that green marble is to the point where you cannot look at green marble without associating it to to Vampire the Masquerade. And that's that was genius. To... No,
1: thank you. I'm, I'm really proud of that one. Uh, that That is like, um, you know, I was desperate. And yeah. so, you know, and for years, I don't know where it is now, that green marble sat in the art, 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 uh, you know, library of White Wolf, just <laughs> sitting there along with the other, other man, you know, pretty, pretty, it just sat there, right? It was pretty cool. I have a question. Um,
0: I have a question about that marble. Um, two questions, actually. Real marble, does that slab still exist?
1: It existed for the entire time that I still own White Wolf. That was up until like 10 years ago. Okay. So then I don't know what happened to it.
0: It's somewhere. So if anybody's watching and you have that green marble, let's get that back. I'd in. love
1: to see a picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> Old friend. <laughs> and of course, none of this would happen without Stuart Wick. And I have to say that he was the greatest partner in the world. He would, you know, he yeah. not only took care of everything in the business so I could work you know those after that Gen Con, I worked for nine months straight. Wow, um, just on this, and and he would patiently let me run in and interrupt him <laughs> <laughs> of, uh, of him running the magazine and the company and everything else, and excitedly tell my new idea and 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 flash back, and and he was basically my sounding board because and he was basically all I had. Uh, a lot of the uh, white wolf people love to claim, oh, I was a play tester. Well, the play test group all quit um they quit on me the the first play test sessions were all live action um larp in our in the white wolf house you know and they were incredibly fun wow but then when i switched the game system they were like oh this is dumb what are these clans yeah this is stupid," and they did not like it and their stories are a bit different than mine but sure. uh <laughs> i remember clearly going to Stuart, can we actually publish a game that has not been play tested, And he goes, well, we have no choice, right? <laughs> oh, my God. And I go, I, I guess so, you know, because we couldn't get anyone to playtest it. Everyone's just so busy trying to keep the company going. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't want to, and they didn't quite believe in it. Yeah. You know, even now, of course, everyone said, I loved it. No, I, I remember everyone telling me this is a dumb idea, and no one's going to play it.
0: The fact that all your playtesters no. quit—that's that's that's wild. So when did you when were you able to actually playtest it, or was it just a give After us feedback? It came out. Give us feedback, or did you do a formal? You did a formal playtesting, I assume. Never. Never.
1: For first edition, never.
0: It was crowd playtested. Yeah. That's great. So what was yeah? Then,
1: be- then, the, then the second edition came out, the hardback. Yeah. And then by then we got all the feedback from the people and blah blah blah. blah. We tried to fix it. But the trouble is is that i wasn't the one who fixed it entirely i had to get hell because i was already had to start working on werewolf you know yeah. so so i i built this trap for myself where i couldn't really sit down and perfect and polish as much as i wanted you know my first game because i was trying to so busy trying to grow a company and fix things and do the next game and so um but you know it all kind of worked out so yeah, uh, yeah. If I could go back in time, I would, you know. Uh, if I could go back in time and fix LARP and make it not have my paper, scissors, I, I definitely would.
2: What would you do? make
1: it way less complicated, I would definitely do that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many things I would do differently. I would fix the, the combat system. But you know what? Man, um, that, I just think it's incredible I was able to come out and figure out the whole world of darkness in nine months, you know. There- I, I Looking back, I'm like, how the hell did I do that? jesus
0: well apparently you were sleeping you, you weren't sleeping that much and and it was out of necessity <laughs> you're like i need to eat yeah. i need to actually get to the next place that i'm going um and and something was communicating through you to kind of birth this amazing game <laughs> um i i do have a question though you know in regards to older editions the very first edition is there anything that you wished uh kind of still carried over into until today even to to v5 is there is there something in that in that very first um, run through that you in retrospect wish still carried? Oh, on?
1: I think you know, the problem with role playing games is is what I call the bloat problem. Mm. Is that every edition they want the new people coming in want to put their own stamp on it, right? Because as much as uh, we role players are wonderful and great and love storytelling and are you know outcasts and you know and the cool geeks and all that kind of stuff, at the same time we're also egotists on a level that is hard for people outside the hobby to fully understand. (laughs) And and so, you know, developers and game designers that come in on these games, they always bloat the game because they're trying to put their stamp on it. So rather than do the game a justice, they're trying to, you know, do the whole, trying to put their stamp on it. You know, maybe the the way some people say the last Star Wars, uh, Ryan put his stamp on it rather than honoring the legacy of Star Wars, you know? Uh uh and and it, but it's very hard to honor the legacy. But anyway, the bloat that comes into the role-playing games in these new editions is is incredibly bad. Um, it just makes them more and more complicated. So while I love fifth edition, let's say let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, I think it's you know it's pared down and blah blah blah. Even there, the character creation has gotten so incredibly complex. I think they lost complete sight yeah. of what it's like to play D D for the first time. Yeah, And so newbies coming in, I just had a friend of mine who was the editor on our, uh, one of our products. She, she's in the play DVD for the first time and she's going, is it really two pages? <laughs> and I go, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I I, I haven't, you know, I, I've, I've, I've played it, but not really. And it was a pre-made character and, and it just seems incredibly complicated to me. Um, and I think that's a problem with fifth edition vampire as well as that. Uh, and all the editions that came after my my versions versus one and two, um, is is that they just sort of got into the bloat and the sprawl and and sometimes you just need to focus on the key things. You know, and the seven original clans in the Camarilla, I think that's key. You know they were very very carefully chosen. You know, that was what I spent the vast amount of my time on. and 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 they work, you know. Um, there's not a single I always check this. I always check at every convention that did someone from every clan come up. And it's always the case. Every clan. There's no clan that's ever left out. Ever. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And that just shows you those original clans are powerful. But, you know, but of course everyone wants to, you know, in our version of Vampire, something's happened. And I'm like, that's another thing that they do is they do meta story. Yes. And, And meta story is just stupid. <laughs> and I know people want to be storytellers and tell stories with the whole world sure but if you want to do that write a damn novel you know um, <laughs> but for a game like you're you, you've always got to think in terms of what what helps the people running the game do and of course you don't want a static world you, but you don't have to have a static world but you, you don't want a a, narrat- a meta narrative going on which supersedes Anything and everything the player characters could possibly do.
0: I also found that a lot of storytellers or GMs will, to, okay, they'll pick what they want. Maybe they'll they'll be, get inspiration from the from the meta plot. But essentially, the game that they're running, most of the time at a home game at a home table game, will probably have almost nothing to do with the meta plot. Uh, that's that's official canon. Um, there will be some inspiration. Maybe there might be some some characters that they want to throw in, but oftentimes it's the individual's storyteller story that they want to tell, with collaboratively with with the players, and that kind of supersedes any kind of uh, official what is or what did what did not happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you know they don't uh, playing a game. Do you who wants you know your story to be so controlled by something that happened in New York last month you know
2: yeah
1: or last year you know what i mean like it, it just like if you're doing a novel you, you, you don't have all the action happen off camera right right if you're doing a movie you don't have the characters talk about oh yeah this horrible thing just happened over here <laughs> no the action the drama the story happens where the characters are not somewhere else and that's why meta plot always fails horribly in role-playing at least
0: well, let's talk about let's talk about the clans. I want to go back to that because you know you saying that the, the core seven clans are, are you know pretty ubiquitous, always there, right? With with each of the cons, um, I'm fascinated with how you developed these clans. Some are obvious. I mean, like the Nosferatu um, or or like uh, Venture. or Toria. not
1: so obvious as you might think.
0: I, and that's but what I like. Were, to... They
1: were one of the last clans to get added in, actually.
0: Oh, really, they were one of the last ones. Can I ask yeah, why?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, uh, um, you know. Uh, first of all, uh, when we we're play testing, you know, I I did try out the the early play live action plays. You know, the idea of ugly vampires. Yeah. And it was very yeah. clear no one wanted to be an ugly vampire, and so I basically, you know, put a note, post-it note in the door saying, "No ugly vampires." I literally had said that, "No ugly vampire." <laughs> and uh, and then it occurred to me uh, towards the end, oh, that's. I was I couldn't decide on the last clan would be, and it occurred to me, oh, you make everyone else more beautiful by having a group that's ugly, and you could have the ugly ones sort of feel that they're beautiful in their own ways, in their own you know ways, and so then I got okay, yeah, the spies, the sewers, yeah. you know the whole the whole outsider thing, the the the, and it just all suddenly came together.
2: That, that that's
0: wild. Yeah, that's one what, what that's my favorite clan is the Nostra. Uh-huh. for that reason. Um because
1: And I think there's always people who wanna be, you know, in any group, there's always people who wanna uh be involved, be very involved, but they don't want to be the center of the action.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, and so so that's and I always thought of the clans in terms of a primogen council meeting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, seven people around the table. How are they interacting? And that's where the the each clan I always imagine them at a council table and how are they talking to each other
0: so the style you know? the style in which they would interact with one another kind of help guide what archetype
1: yes exactly be. so so the Toreador is the tart you know kind of you know acidic humor you know biting you know the uh, the tremere is the imperious you know outsider you know and and and, and you know venture is desperately trying to hold everyone together and get their agenda through, you know, and, and so on. Uh, we've all, we've all know these archetypes, you know, that's, that's the key thing about uh, them as well is that, you know, these are archetypes that we're all deeply familiar with in our daily lives. Anyone who's been to any kind of meeting has encountered these people. But of course, you know, the, the clans are these people very exaggerated and, and given, you know supernatural traits that, that that really um you know take a slice of that that personality type and and make it actualized in the game setting
0: so how about the names um, the names that you chose for for each one of them how long of a process
1: was oh my the... god
2: to... <laughs> and what what are some, uh, of, the, what are some just, of the bad you know, ones that people people I, I, I that?
1: am you can understand I I checked i I use like four different thesauruses online, yeah every day to this day, I use one about fifty times a day yeah so the thesaurus I used for vampire, I would put a check mark every time I go back to the same word <laughs> and sometimes there's like eight check marks
2: <laughs>
1: you know yeah so, yeah so you know like like i use I, I really. And I would go to the library and go through all the old books. You know, I uh, remember at, uh, at Christmas, I went back to my college library and just poured through uh, things, you know, just looking for words. It's so much easier now. Yeah. So much easier.
0: Absolutely. But it's also discovering is, is a little more difficult now, too. Even just going through books. Well- analog books you can kind of accidentally open a page and there it is now things yeah. are a little bit more directional and, and focused. Well I, th-
1: I think you know that can happen online too but here's the problem with today is that there's so much more media mm-hmm. that all the names are taken Yeah. you know I mean there's <laughs> people don't, I don't think we fully realize how much more media there is but there's about a hundred times <laughs> more media you know and anyone can search for it at any time and say oh that word you used here has been used over here and and it's trademarked (laughs) and it's like ah geez you know yeah
0: um you know violence is something that in terms of vampire that's uh kind of a it's it's interesting with this game because it can be the most violent uh or the least violent depending on the type of scene depending on the players and and the storytellers there's that that uh, what did someone say the other day? Uh, murder hobo type games that are obviously inspired from um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeon Crawls, and that kind of stuff. We were talking about what that feels like. Um, or
1: certain vampire movies.
0: Exactly. Um, and the setting of Vampire it kind of at, at the start is almost against violence um, between you know the, the masquerade and the hierarchical social structures
1: it's absolutely against violence yeah if you play if you play it by the rules and if you keep playing violence you will lose all your humanity and you are no longer a player character so yeah yeah, it's it's make no doubt about it it's anti-violence you know yeah Uh, it's almost like you know i was trying to say you know enjoy your violence but don't love your character too much because you're gonna lose it Mm mm-hmm you know, of course, no one actually plays that way because because the, the the big secret about role-playing games is that, you know, we pretend it's a game and that it's an even contest and we have to fight to win. But really, you know, the storyteller, game master, whatever you want to call it, is always figuring out ways to let you win without letting you realize that he's letting you win, he or she.
0: So sometimes you, you gotta know?
1: kind of break the rules a little bit to make that happen. Especially- Absolutely. <laughs> now, any any storyteller about it they're going yeah i'm kind of you know of course we are you know we're trying to create a great experience for people so of course we're breaking the rules left and right you know and that includes the humanity rules but but i still put it in even though i knew people would break it and not follow it because i first of all i wanted a moral stance to be made like if this would be a, a game about monsters then I felt there had to be a moral stance. I didn't want to just be murder hobos, yeah, and, and me responsible for that. There's no way I was going to publish it. I'd rather continue eating day-old Donuts. I really would have. I have very strong moral and ethical values about this. You know, my parents are. My dad's a minister. My mom's a social worker. I was raised uh, to go pro, to go to protests to 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 work towards a better world. You know, the old school you know, nonviolent way. And, uh, um, which is sad. It's old school anyway. Um, so anyway, I had to do that. And so, and the fact that people did murder hobos honestly didn't worry me that much because I thought, I mean, I can't do anything about that. Right. But as strongly as I could, I, I made, you know, a beast I am, lest the beast I become. You know, that's the first thing underneath Vampire, on the first page of the first edition. That is the game. You know
0: yeah and it's uh it's it's almost like a, a, a developing from from your upbringing through to your experience of observing how people play dungeons and dragons um into you know your your personal moral um ethical compass i I think it's really cool to have something that inspires um, conflict resolution rather than you know slamming a hammer down on yeah.
1: People. And it's more storytelling, you yeah. know, fighting everything is not storytelling, it's a war game, Yeah, you know, and that's the problem with D&D, is it's basically a war game, you know, and yeah. in fact, it's the last remaining, like, war game that's played by people a lot, you know, yep. other than miniatures, battles, you know, but even those aren't really, outside of Warhammer, not that popular. But it's a war game and 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 but yet that's not really storytelling is it you know it's, yeah. it's got the veneer of storytelling that's not real in-depth storytelling because combat you know e- even war movies aren't you know two hours of combat that would be incredibly boring <laughs> right yeah yeah would, you know even superhero movies are not two hours of of of, of, of hmm. them fighting fist cuffs and you know swooping around you know it, it's a special moment in the movie and so I think that's you know uh, that's why I felt it was so important to have you know this grounding of the morality to so, sort of make it clear to people you know that I wasn't kidding about this being a storytelling game Yeah, you know yeah. that that they should treat it seriously and not you know just pick it up and play it casually like oh yeah let's go kill some things some humans you know now of course they still did that, but but I did everything in my power to stop them, you know? And and I and I made it really clear to them so that as they were doing it, they would still know that they were doing it wrong.
2: Well that's that's and I think a
1: lot of people grok grokked onto that. Yeah. And were really into it. That's that's one of the reasons why I took off is people were like, Yeah, finally, a, a storytelling, intellectual, hardcore game that takes itself seriously, you know, finally. And we had Call Cthulhu before, but but you know that was back then. That was just for a very small, select group of sadists. You know, <laughs> Mathias, I should say.
0: And and um, what, what's more, what's more uh, cool in noir than a, a handgun in your pocket, uh, it, like a detective never having to use it, hoping never to to actually use it, um, but you know that you have it. The same thing goes with these disciplines, right? The powers that yeah. you have as as a as a kindred, you know, uh, you could utilize them, but. You try not. You try that to try to have that be kind of a last resort. But often, I found that that sometimes players will kind of revel in their use of disciplines uh, to use like superpowers in order to, to kind of bludgeon the obstacles into submission. Um, and I know that you you've said that you've done everything in your power to you know have the mechanics there and have the functions that will kind of limit or stop that kind of that kind of uh, reveling. But how would you suggest that storytellers or GMs Around uh, around the world, playing this game, help to limit that kind of um, kind of reveling and in, in lack of humanity.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I always try to do a boomerang effect. So you know, if someone's going to use a really big power, or a really big you know discipline, whatever, or do a really big moment, there's always going to be blowback, right? And, and that's a big term in the CIA that's now moved to the corporate world where you know it's understanding that if you know if you go to a small country you start spending a lot of money like we did in afghanistan or or like in iraq uh, that suddenly inspire corruption everywhere there's gonna be just massive amounts of corruption because american money is a hundred times as strong you know as a local money and so what's a little bit to us is a huge amount to them and we're just going to corrupt an entire society and that's called the blowback yeah and it happens on different levels and so what i try to do in gaming is do the same thing is that Every time a player does something, I always throw, you know make a little note, am I, am I usually in my mind, but sometimes on paper, like, what's going to be the blowback for this? Yeah. And I try to have, have something, some hint of that happen as soon as possible. Because if you make some hint of it happen as soon as possible, the player will remind you about it. Mm-hmm. And you'll know, remember it yourself. The player will be so freaked out, they'll keep bringing it up. <laughs> and you'll never forget it, because they'll keep bringing it up for you.
0: Yeah, it's just real-world uh, consequences
1: yeah consequences is the shorthand way of saying that Mm -hmm. just have consequences for everything and just weave that into the story and there could be good consequences too you know Uh, if someone does something lets them add humanity and then also the thing i do is if people lose a lot of humanity i do give them ways to restore humanity and that's something that normally i don't think i put in the, the first edition at least maybe second but um but in practice, I do let people get back humanity. I did not put it in the game because I didn't want people to sort of go, you know, up humanity up and up and up and down. Yeah, like but a tank but of I guess fact would go ahead and give give players okay if you do this, I'll give you back two points of humanity. But so that, it's gonna be hard, you know.
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> like a. a human- but I'll, I'll, I'll let
1: players sacrifice something really big, something really important to their character, and then I'll let them. Uh, get humanity back
0: yes it's a, you know yeah it's like a, a price that they're paying and and it incentivizes them to keep that humanity but also yep. creates another yep. level of an economy.
1: you really make them feel the loss of that humanity right because mm-hmm. you've lost something really important to them you yeah know? yeah and that's a, that's always an important thing to do in role-playing in general is you got to give the players things they really love right yeah like in it's magic items, but in Vampire it's like, you know, this particular blood doll or certain status or, oh, you're a primogen now or, you are you know, um, status. It's always status. (laughs) You know, it's very simple. It's not money. It's not sex. It's status. It's always status. So anyway, you give them items of status and then you take them away. You know, and then you give them back. And so this is basically a way to really make things dramatic and powerful you know but you have to find a way for that particular player what does that player and especially what does that player's character really really want and then you give them a little taste of it and you give them a little bit more and then you take it away <laughs>
0: <laughs> kind of see them how they how they react to that even if they were u- utilizing or misusing uh, the, the status or power that they had before when it's taken away and then suddenly given back through some kind of uh, retribution how observing how they, they utilize it after that that arc and after that experience is very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's why I always always tell people when they when they you know when they're a storyteller running a game is that you know observing your players is really the the key thing to do. Hmm. And it's not just you rambling, narrating, and rambling on and playing characters. Well, that's a big part of it, but man, just listening on the players talk to each other and watching closely what they want. And then both giving them what they want and taking it away, man, you, that's how you get them. That's how you make them really, really ache for your story and really <laughs> be involved, you know? Because they care, then suddenly they care. Yeah. And the, the worst kind of story is where you don't care, right? It's that new show comes out, everyone told is so great. You start watching it, you're in the second episode and you still don't care. You just don't care. Oh, it's another soap opera. I don't care. And then you turn it off, you know, and so that, that just shows how important it is to to have to care about something in a story, story, you know, have some hook that each player has that makes them, which is why, of course, characters are so important. And, and D&D tries to. Mm-hmm make the characters important by giving you two pages of stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. kitschy and, and you know, and it, you know that something's going to bound and make them love this character. Let's give them a bunch of stuff. And but it really doesn't work that way. You know, it's it's got to be something unique and special.
0: And and integrated into into the story. One of one of the things that um, yep. we've been discovering is the uh, Powered by apocalypse uh, system and particularly cult Divinity Lost, which is a horror-based game, it's it's fantastic, but it it really there's a kind of a freeform kind of uh, a GM style that it's a interplay between what's important to the GMs and what's excuse me the GM and what's important to the players more particularly.
1: Yeah, the whole move system thing. Yeah, I I love that. I I stole a lot from them. Uh, I thought I think it's a great system. But yeah, my my new uh, game system that I use the the car-based storyteller system. It takes a lot of those ideas and and puts them in because it's it's just so classy. I just I just simplified it down a, a whole lot
0: as all. This is for your uh, the the storyteller.
1: Um, yeah, this is the storyteller. Uh yes. it's like a, it's a board game which I'm hoping to sell as a board game but but it's really a role-playing game. The skies is a role-playing game as a board game. <laughs> yeah. So so it's but it's meant to be basically for all those lapsed gamers. Uh, my theory is that there's millions of lapsed gamers and there's at least a million lapsed world of darkness fans out there who don't play world of darkness anymore um you know if you count especially all the larpers uh over the years there's a million of people out there who 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 know role playing yeah um, but don't role play anymore and so what they need i think is a really simple system where you can make a character in a few minutes um you can learn the game in a few more minutes and you can just start playing. And it's got lots of art on the cards, um, but no game stats in the cards that confuse you. Or there's, there's basically I took out every hindrance I could make someone go, oh, I, it's too complicated. I don't want to do it. And I just took all these hindrances away, but yet still made it a, a board game that has you know enough bite, and enough uh, you know crunchy yeah. that people like me who love look, look behind me. Obviously, I love board games. <laughs> I love rules. I love you know complication, but has just enough of it that that you have something to sink your teeth into, but but not um, but not so much that you have to look things up in a three hundred page book. Oh gosh, which, yeah, which, which, which Do- terrifies people. And my and my kids wouldn't play D and D. The reason I came up with this is that my kids we started playing D and D with their friends one night, and an hour later they insisted on making their own characters. They had to have their own characters, and, and an hour later they just all gave up. They were just like, they were just would not do it. And I said, okay, okay, I'm going to find a simple game we can all play and we're going to do it. And uh, instead of using someone else's system, which I intended to do, I I came up with this.
0: That's great. And it's the barriers to entry are are very limited.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the idea. And, And I hope more people do games like this. I mean, I hope, I think that I really hope there's a whole wave of board games that are actually storytelling games. I think it's a huge... And it's not just me. I know a lot of board game companies are thinking about this. You know, just because of the success of the, of the you know, Cthulhu board games, which are basically, you know, they're not really storytelling games, but they have a storytelling feel to them. Right. Uh, and I, 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 w- w- there's a thought going around among board game designers who so I'm in that community somewhat um, that, that, that there's going to be this wave of these storytelling games coming out where... You know, it's, it's a board game style rules, but it lets you actually play a story out that you're kind of making up. Yeah. I, if, I, but you I, won't I, quite figure out how to do it yet.
0: I think that, you know, my my, my wife, on the other hand, will not play uh, role playing games. However, if there was a board in front of us and a couple of pieces, I'm sure, <laughs> and and baked into the system, I'm, I'm sure she would be just fine with it. And, the, and I think it's shared with a lot of different people. Um, yeah that, oh, I would, but mm, it might be a little too nerdy, but I'll definitely yeah. do game night every single week playing various different games. If there's a role-playing element to it, I'm sure that they would be all about it.
1: Yeah, and then you know, the first time you play, you just keep it to a bare, bare minimum. And what I discovered actually when play playtesting in Athens is that even if you tell them not to role-play, they still will. <laughs> so one night, we played it as a pure board game, yeah. just to test mechanics, and everyone just started role-playing naturally,
2: <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. They would sneak it in almost, right? They would yeah. just sneak it in. Okay, on this turn, I'm making a danger action. But I want to say that... <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was hilarious.
0: Well, even, even Munchkin, there, there are specific cards that will get people to, like especially you know if they've had a glass of wine stand up and if it's a performance if there's a performance aspect to the card in order to get a particular stat or or, or actionable they'll they'll do it with uh, <laughs> with great oration wow um
1: yeah, i, I I've, I've done munchkin a couple of times i think people have this uh, innate desire to um to role play to oh, act yeah. you know yeah. to to mm-hmm. prance around the talk in voices and even shy people will kind of want to do it, you know, and if you can give them just one moment in a night where they can do that and entertain other people that can make them so happy, you know, just that one single moment.
0: Yeah. If you're feeling a little bit like an idiot, you're probably doing it right. And if everybody at the table is okay with you doing it, they're probably okay with doing it themselves. And after a while you kind of break through, um, and everyone's acting like nerds together, and it's a wonderful uh, dance between all the players. Um, I want to I want to go back with to to Vampire real quick, um, and particularly as it relates to a piece of content, which is uh, it, it is one of my favorites. Um, it's called Kindred, the Embraced, from nineteen ninety six. Um, I believe is an Aaron Spelling production. Um, So it was it was very dramatic, uh, very much. You said soap opera. This is Vampire the Masquerade as a soap opera. Um, I want to start with the positive. So what is what was your favorite part um, of the show, whether it be the the output, what came of it or even being involved with the development of?
1: I mean, it was obviously my whole goal was to get to Hollywood. Right. That was from age. 16 on, I wanted to be a film director, so um, you know, going to Hollywood was incredibly exciting, on the way down to my very first meeting, we stopped by Santa Cruz and we're out on the boardwalk, we're driving south towards, from San Francisco down to LA for this big meeting, and we, I prepared for it, I the stuff ready for it, I, I added together a whole thing, the show, what kind of show it should be, blah blah blah, and we're in Santa Cruz, and I was looking around. I went, oh, my God, this is so familiar. And I went, oh, my God, this is where they film Lost Boys. Yeah. <laughs> and I flipped out. I, no one, and my girlfriend and uh, my friend were like, what? What's the big deal with Lost Boys? I go, Lost Boys was the inspiration for Vampire. You don't understand. And they're like, oh, whatever. But for me, it was this huge moment. And so, you know, making the show and – but. The, the, the tragedy of the show is that it was made with Aaron Spelling, who <laughs> had his own system for doing things, right? Yeah. And he could do fantasy, right? Fantasy Island. But I don't think he could... He was not capable of shepherding, shepherding a horror show, you know? Yeah. And, and I think they did a, a, a pretty good job, despite you know his inability to sort of see horror. You know, but, but, and Mark Frankel was easily the best part of the whole thing. Um, and so when he died, it was just clearly and absolutely over. Done. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the tragedy is, is that if it just, if the call had come two years later or three years later, it would have been perfect timing in terms of what was happening with television and Hollywood. And we might have gotten a better deal. And, and let's face it, of all the vampire TV shows that did come out, you know, some of them were pretty good. Not that I watched them, uh, but I heard back from all the people who did on how much they stole. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm upset. yeah. Just you, you know, theft is uh, is part of what it, the game is about, right? Yeah. Uh, it would be nice to have a little nod now and then, um, which they did not do. They pretended to their bosses they had made everything up.
2: That's which unfortunate. Is typical
1: Hollywood. Typical Hollywood. Yeah. Um. <laughs> But but uh, you know a respectful nod would have been nice, and their own fans would have appreciated that. Um, but but you know, we, World of Darkness would have been such a vampire, The Masquerade would have been such a better show than than some of those shows. You know, just because it has a much deeper and more in depth world, and 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 all these showrunners uh, in Hollywood, uh, all these writers of different shows. I mean, Lost proves. That you know, some of these people are incredible storytellers, but they're not world builders. Right. They don't know how to invent a world. Game of Thrones, the final season, final two seasons, proves that some of these showrunners are incredible storytellers and yet they don't understand their own world. Yeah. They don't understand what makes that world sing, what makes it work, you know? They don't understand that, you know, that if you have a gritty realistic world, then you know everything has to work on that principle.
0: There's a sort of, there's a formulaic aspect of it too. Like, especially if you're developing a show or, or something for television and, you know, you're used to a particular style and it's like, okay, what bucket would this concept fit into so that we can just turn the machine on and have this thing developed and run to be, you know, based on, on what works before, um, I was extremely disappointed with with the Game of Thrones um last two seasons, and it felt very much like okay, we have a committee of of television writers that are kind of doing the television thing rather than you know buying into everything that they built up to to the world um, up until now with kindred the with Kindred the embraced, it seemed very much like okay, this is a cool concept, and people might like it uh We know television and we know cop shows, maybe we can kind of retrofit something and yeah. You know, well
1: that's when I flipped out is that you know I was absolutely opposed to the cop shit. (laughs) You know that was that was not gonna sing I was banned from the set for a while. No uh, because because yeah, because I opposed that so strongly and I wouldn't sign the contract. Um actually went ahead with the show without assigning a contract. Whoa. Yeah, man. When I threatened to sue, they said, Go ahead.
0: So they stole
2: we, we, it.
1: We we, we, you, you, we know how exactly how much money you have, and you can't possibly keep us in court long enough for it to make any difference to us, and you'll be bankrupt. So go ahead.
0: Wow. So I'm just gonna say it. Um, Aaron Spelling stole from you, right? I mean,
1: I'm 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 you know I'm, I I. <laughs> okay. I can't come, and I've yeah, I know, I've, I have been involved in enough lawsuits over the years of which I'm not allowed to speak about at all. That's uh, a, you, know, you know involved in this IT world. I wish I could because I have such incredible stories about lawsuits, and yet I cannot speak. I, I, um
0: you know, one one time, you know, off camera, we I would love to hear uh, many of these, but but let's let's <laughs> let's move on. Um, so. We heard about how difficult it was to defend your source material and, and the things that you like, some of the things that you, that you didn't like. Um, you know, I think that we could probably envision what, what a show would look like today. Um, I know I could. Sure. But what? I what think it's
1: be- a perfect time for a vampire show, honestly. Um, you know, um, you just sort of. Uh, I, I would do it in an unnamed city, mm-hmm. but it's clearly North American, um, but yet not. Um, you know, I'd make it about the story about a, a, a Shakespearean story, you know, sort of a, a prince who, who is no longer prince and out in the luck and, and all the different stuff that happens in a typical Shakespeare play. A lot of hubris, a lot of tragedy, and but sort of a Game of Thrones sort of, you know, power conflict. Uh, I would say the, the fate of, the, of not only the city, but a, a lot of humans sort of is involved in some ways. But it's completely focused on the vampires, and just like Game of Thrones, yeah. you know, you don't really see commoners, right? It's it's all knights and it's all nobility. You how often do you see a commoner besides the butcher's kid in the first season? Yeah, you know, it's and even even the commoners you do see are like either warriors or high level prostitutes. You know, yeah,
2: they're kind of and like. So a I,
1: setting. I think the reason for that is that you want everyone to be a player. You know, you want everyone to have uh, you know, uh, a conspir- conspiratorial role, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I would love yeah. to see that, and and maybe one day. Um, until then, <laughs> until then, there's there's our own tabletops, the LARPs, and the actual plays across the interwebs. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you watch any of those, by the way? Uh, which uh, any of the actual plays.
1: Um, I've watched you Killam know, occasionally, but um, but not not extensively. No.
0: I want to open it up to the audience right now, um, if that's okay with you, Mark. Um, sure. I, I want to, uh, maybe I think we have time for, I think maybe one one or two questions, um, and then I want to move on to some current projects you have working on. But if those of you have a question for Mark, um, you know we are streaming this on Twitch, so so please. Um, put in the chat a question that that you would like to be asked um, and, and I will ask the great Mr. Reinhagen um, let's see here okay so it, we were talking about television shows this is a good one um, have you ever seen Forever Night it's kind of an older uh, vampire uh, cop show
1: Nope. It's
0: um it's it's interesting. It's it it's a cop show, but then it also goes back and forth to when he was a vampire years and years ago. Um and then back to not a vampire
1: anymore? Say say it again. He stopped being a vampire?
0: No, he's he's a vampire, but he has lived for a very, very long time and now instead of like the Dracula type living in a castle, you know kind of romantic era type fiction, he's now leather-jacketed as a cop, uh, covering up his his ailment while trying to, you know, uh, fight crime. What was what it on? Uh, I think it was on the USA years ago oh, okay. when USA was a thing. I don't think it's a thing anymore, right? Um, It's called Forever Night, like K-N-I-G-H-T. Yeah,
1: I just found that, yeah.
0: yeah it's, now, it's cheesy. Um, it is very 90s, but...
2: Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Pretty I actually
1: have I, I have low tolerance for cheesy. I have <laughs> intellectual pretension, and uh, and uh, so yeah, I, I probably wouldn't like it. I'm sorry to say, um, especially TV shows. Like, I can watch a cheesy, stupid movie in yeah. a, sort of a funny way, but a TV show, man. You know, after working on the the show, like one problem with actually working on TV shows is like I know. Like, when anyone goes to the um, certain locations, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so, like any film production that is in L.A., I know every location.
0: Yeah, and it's not so mystical. And I see or... them.
1: I see them in every TV show, you know? Yeah. And so that's the problem with these cheesy shows is that I know every storytelling trope. And not just because I read TV tropes, which everyone should but just because you know, I've read so many stories and watched so many things is that I know all these things. And so when someone pulls out an old, tired trick and doesn't subvert it somehow or twist it somehow, it just feels so tired. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Bad. Like, 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 you, know, you can do an amazing show with a low budget. I, I'm just always amazed that these writers don't go, listen, we've got an incredibly low budget, but let's do something so freaking cool that the kids and the tired old... You know, trope masters will love, and let's just let's just do this cool, and that would be incredibly popular. But I think the writers um, are just too intimidated, or something, or I don't know why they don't ever go that route. Yeah, they always tend to go with the same. Okay, we're gonna have the hard bitten detective, you know, (laughs) which was really great when they first came out with that. But you know, when Phil Noir first came out, it was brand spanking new. It was incredible. Yeah. But now it's it's not new anymore.
2: Well, yeah,
0: I can't do like the the those uh, procedural crime dramas. It's just they're all they're all kind of the same. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: I cannot, I cannot for the life of me uh, watch them. So we so. do
0: we do have another question from um, which World of Darkness property other than vampire would you consider your absolute favorite?
1: Um. Wow. Um, well, I always say, about people ask me what my favorite clan is, how can I choose between my children, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's impossible. And, and so, you know, um, um, but you know what? I feel very strongly about Changeling just because when I did Ars Magica, I was very insistent on putting the fairy, fae, you know, mythology into there and of it being other world, and. And I'm I'm putting that into the new this new game Lost. Well, what I'm doing, so I just love the whole fairy world thing, and and I think I I'm really proud of the fact that kind of I'm kind of the one who brought it to the gaming. So you yeah. know, but Wraith you could, you could Wraith is tough to love. I do love it, but it's tough to love Werewolf. You know, wonderful. Um, but I think there's more you can do more with Changeling, I guess, than anything. Like and, and it almost like I did it wrong. In a way, I feel like I didn't give it justice enough. I didn't quite do it right, because I was so rushed. Yeah, that that you know, it's one of those gains that if I, I almost love it because I I, I long to redo it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so with it with the new edition of Werewolf, how do you? Um, it's it's everyone's very excited about this this new edition and and essentially we're looking at a fifth edition of uh, vampire and a fifth edition of werewolf existing at the same time at a very very exciting time where there's a whole new um, excitement over both both of those game lines and, and world of darkness in general. Um, how do you, are your expectations high for werewolf? Um, what are you what do you hope that they they handle that you wish you did um, and in as a follow-up, how do you feel about Vampire 5th Edition?
1: Um, you know, I, I wrote up a, a spec sheet on what, you know, my idea of where to take Werewolf, you know. Yeah. And, 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 my, and my, my, you know, my advice always is for anyone who's taking a game, you know, is like go back to the roots of the game and then change as little as possible while still updating it to the modern age right? Yeah. So if, I, if someone came and said, I'm, I don't redo to Call Cthulhu, what I would say is, okay, go back to the original Call Cthulhu and honor that, you know? Like, like make a really beautiful, simple game like that was. That game was beautiful yeah. and simple, you know? But of course, you know, the publisher's thinking, well, that's not a very expensive book, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and what I would say is, well, fill it with really cool art Yep. and addendum, but make the core of the game super simple and just like 30 pages at the front you know and wow. make the character sheet super simple yeah and make the concept super simple and then start layering then you layer later mm-hmm. and i'm all, i think i'm really proud of the fact that all the world of darst games had this very simple character sheet. yeah so the new page and you can see everything right there and you can begin to see the layering but you can see your character there but still a many multi-dimensional character you know it, the everything you need is there yeah, and the real person—that magic of role playing—just um, just a
0: one, just one sheet. That's what we were doing for with Packs Unplugged. We we're trying to, instead of the four pager, right? It's which is insane. Is like
1: you, you know, like even experienced gamers cannot possibly handle that.
0: You don't use it, you them. know. You and don't use and, and, and just... it
1: becomes this, you know, it becomes this accounting class, uh, <laughs> you know. And it, it's, it's just not. It's just not. You know, I think I think the fifth edition guys at, at Dungeons and Dragons did an amazing job. Their success, I applaud them. Um, the success of fifth edition vampire, I applaud them. You know, this is obviously what many people wanted. You know, but but I just always feel that you, you could do you could have done even better if you went back to the original source material and just instead of complicating it, you just did it way better. And yep. then with the rest of the book, you started layering stuff on top of it but you know, but keep those core rules, you know, the same length as they originally were or shorter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, people have shorter attention spans nowadays, not longer, Yeah. you know, then do we want our hobby to be forever, you know, the nerds and geeks, <laughs> you know, I think everyone has a desire to, to, to storytell. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to do it. it. It, we, we all have done it as children. We all kind of do it all the time. We humans are liars. You know, we're always <laughs> lying about, you know, our, our, ourselves. And that's kind of like role playing, isn't it? It's yeah. not really lying. It's more like role playing. You're just telling a story about the better you, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah. The ideal, but, but, but uh, yeah. We
1: got to give, you know, but I find that if I've role played recently, I do a lot less of that, you know?
0: A lot less of the, uh,
1: exaggeration uh, about mm. my stupid life you know
0: yeah yeah you know it's sort of like all of your flourishing on stories you can kind of save for your role playing um yeah
1: it <laughs> makes you much more honest and, and approachable yeah. and real human being in public you know <laughs> rather than you trying to get in this little things to give you these status rubs you know or, or these or these you know this you know this this feeling of being someone else of escaping yourself, you just do it in a game, and then in real life, you can be and people love that. By the way, yeah, you you, you never get higher status than being than by being a real person to people. You can be a hundred percent authentic to someone. You're gonna get such enormous enormous uh, response in real life, not online. Yep. Uh, online authenticity mm-hmm. is wasted; it's worthless. But but in real life, people people can smell it. And they they absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, that's a really good message too, because there's a lot of people now. <clears throat> just because you know, the, with the way things are in digital and everything else, it's there's a lot more people that are starting to do the world building, um, game line development, um, ourselves when we're running when we're running games and and you know put out content and everything else. So there's there's not more and more opportunity for more and more people. Um, but it's a really good message to kind of take away from this is is to be authentic and and real yeah um i want to talk about lost lorne i saved the best for last in my opinion um i know you you gave me a little bit of a sneak peek and oh, i am very excited about this game uh particularly well, fang knight
1: yeah yeah that's the key that's the key aspect of it um yeah, the, the, the setting itself, Lost Learn, is like, you know, larger than life. You know, it's a world in which uh, the conspiracy theory are the round earthers who believe the, the planet is round. <laughs> but in fact, the, the world is flat and uh, it's surrounded by a tempest, this constant storm that is going around in the giant counterclockwise gyre. Mm. Um, and in the middle, uh, there's a series of steps, mountains that go up and up and up into the clouds. And on top of them the very highest um, steps of mountains is a, a, the world mother tree um, which has whole c- you know cities and civilizations on it which reaches up into the sky and so you have this world which is you know sort of high magic but yet in it it's a very gritty realistic world because I don't really like silly buggers high magic um, stories, but I love really mythological high magic worlds and so I think the team and I have found a way to sort of balance it out where where it's basically you can have both and so um go ahead
0: yeah it's it I, I love that idea it's it's so kind of harkens back to Game of Thrones you know magic is real but rare um,
1: yeah and with drawbacks mm. <laughs> you know young yeah. children can be killed to make it to do a magic that in the end doesn't work. Wow. You know? So, you know? And so that, that's the harshness of magic, which they forgot in the last two seasons. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, the whole idea of uh, the magic wizards in uh, Lost Lorne is that the wizards are the vampires. But they're the ones with the magic. Uh, they have the knowledge and the ability to, to rarefy magic to a whole different level. And the magic system is basically an amalgam of what's best about Mage and my other um, uh, magic game, um, uh, Ars Magica, which is sort of the first game to really try to do magic right. So uh, sort of doing, redoing disciplines is, uh, you know, is more of a magic system. I think it's really interesting. So you can take the best elements of both. And the, the social setting is great. As you read about the fireholds,
0: I did. I did read a little bit of a fire holds, and it's, um, it's a really interesting system for sure.
1: How yeah, you... I think it's really cool. The inside out castle, where you're basically defending the earth against um, what can come from below, because uh, this is always important. I mean, Ars Magica is it really capturing what the medieval people thought. And of course, in medieval times and classical times, it didn't have the conception we have today of multiple worlds, of different worlds, right? Yeah. I mean, for the Greeks, heaven was on top of Mount Olympus, right? For the medieval people, hell was directly beneath your feet. It was down below you. Yeah. And so miners were seen as like testing danger because they were digging towards hell, right? <laughs> so in Lost hell really is literally beneath your feet. And the abyssmas is this vast sort of series of, 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 of levels of, of caverns and everything that goes down there. And every once in a while, there's an eruption of, of of demons and the horrible things that come out. And the reason the vampires are, are allowed to live, to exist, and have their place in, you know, mortal society is that they guard the hell holes.
0: Wow, so literally guarding the, the underworld, they're, guarding hell. They're
1: literally guarding the, the underworld and protecting the surface world from the evils from below. And so they're kind of like the night watch, in a way, of, you know...
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a very it's a very cool game. The setting is 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 um, fascinating. I am I am personally very excited about this. When when can we uh, expect this to to be fully developed? I know you're you're probably still working on it and, and... yeah, we're still we're gonna. If
1: anyone's on Facebook, uh, just write me uh, or or look for Lost, Lorne, uh, L-O-S-T Lorne, Lorn L O S T Lorn L O R N, and you can ask to join the group. And we have like uh, 400 people, of which you know. Uh, Not that many are active at all times, but um, we're basically busy creating the world, you know, as a sort of a group collaborative thing. And that's really important to me. I I really believe in collaborative storytelling. That's what role playing is all about. And so this world is going to be created in this collaborative way, you know, where, where, you know, I I sort of provide the, the consistency of vision so that we have, you know, it's not too wackadoodle in too many directions, but I'm trying to let as many different perspectives that he's come in. And so far that has worked out incredible. (laughs) It is is so much more interesting, um, letting anyone who wants to add to the world. And uh, we're doing it under a Creative Commons license. So people can do, they can, you know, as long as it's not for profit, they can do whatever they want. And if they want to do it for profit, then you know I, I plan on making it very easy to do that for people.
0: That's really cool. I'd personally like to to be involved myself and and I hope that that everybody checks it out as well. Um, I want an update from you when you get close to releasing it so let's keep in Will touch um, I want to thank you again for for coming on and, and talking to me this has been an amazing conversation I don't want to take up more of your time because you're a very busy man working on Lost Lauren and I want to make sure that you realize that um, uh, but I know that everybody really appreciated kind of hearing hearing from you and hearing from Kane's mouth himself um, and <laughs> thank you for, for creating this thing this world of darkness that, that we all love so much um, it, it means so, so much to me and everybody in the community and all the fans uh, to, to have this. So it, it, thank you for creating it.
1: You're welcome, and uh, thank you for having me on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on Lost Learn.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, you can find us at GehennaGaming.com. Follow us on Twitter, at GehennaGaming, on Facebook, uh, backslash Gehenna Games. Um We will be here again soon, and... Hopefully we will have some more conversations. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Your attention has been noted. You can find us online at GehennaGaming.com, on Twitter at GehennaGaming, twitch.tv slash GehennaGaming, and patreon.com slash GehennaGaming. And remember, if your imagination is superior to the rules, go beyond the
2: rules.